say my name until the city burns and the stars fade away and your scars don't hurt i will hold you till the sun comes crashing down i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone welcome to the restored to more podcast a listener supported podcast that is dedicated to restoring marriages to wholeness in christ after being affected by pornography and sexual brokenness After betraying charity with pornography and unwanted sexual behavior, we had no idea how to rebuild our relationship or even if it was possible to restore what was broken. Today, by God's grace, we have learned how to connect again, laugh again, and rebuild spiritual, emotional, and sexual intimacy to an even greater experience than before. Our goal is that as you hear our story, the stories of others, and the knowledge needed to heal, you too can have a marriage that is becoming restored to more. I'm yours until the end of time. Update everyone. Course one registrations are back open. Whoop, whoop. This is an eight week course starting Thursday, September 14th. That is designed to help you and your spouse start the journey to becoming restored to more. It will be led by R2M certified coaches, Cody and Michelle Larson. We will be focusing on how to cultivate safety and trust, healthy communication, deal with triggers, and begin to discover how God can use crisis to create closeness. You can see all the details on our website and can register today at www.restoredtomore.com slash courses. Also, if you have appreciated this podcast, a great way to say thank you is leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. These reviews help more people find the podcast and experience hope and healing. Say my name until the city. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Restored to More. We are so excited for you to get to know our guest, Noah Filipiak. Noah is the planting pastor of Mosaic Church in the urban Grand Rapids, Michigan. Prior to this, he planted Crossroads Church in Lansing, Michigan, where he pastored for 13 years. He's the author of Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. So true, by the way. And is the host of the Flipside podcast. Blogs at noahphilippiak.com and is on the Covenant Eyes blogging team. Noah is a graduate of Cornerstone University and Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Jen, have been married for how many years again, Noah? 17. 17 years and have three daughters. Well, we got you with the three boys, so you got three girls. So we know, we know <laughs> nice. nothing about that except that three's crazy. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, welcome. No, we're so glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, wait a second. So before we like get into some serious stuff, seventeen years. Yeah, you, you look, look like you're like twenty five. <laughs> you, you guys got married. I got four. married. I got married when I was twelve. It's one of those biblical marriages, <laughs> perfect. you know. Yeah, perfect. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I got married young. I was 21. My wife is 22. And so we were fresh out of college. I graduated college a year early and yeah, I'm 38 now. So, wow. and that's, uh, that, that plays a little bit into our story. I'll get into that a little bit. Probably. I, I write about that a little bit. Why don't you so. just start there, man? Go for it. How yeah. does that, what was that like getting married super young? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess where I would start would be this, um, th- there's a good and bad, right? Mm. So, uh, certainly, let's start with the good. Um, God designed sex to be within marriage and, and God's way is better. Uh, mm-hmm. but often the way that that's taught, uh, the way I was taught it growing up, and this really came from sexual purity books that mm-hmm. I read in college and, and probably from my, a little bit of my church youth group upbringing as well. But it was this idea that we, we really need you to save sex until marriage. That's and, and so we're gonna, we're going to incentivize it 
with this this carrot at the end of the stick. You know, this yeah. and, and the the incentive was um, if you save sex until marriage, uh, then you'll have this you know this utopian sex life. And uh, at, at least that's how I interpret it as a guy. That's that's saying that's how a lot of Christian guys that I've talked oh, yeah. to interpret it. And so so you know, I I think that was part of my reason for getting married uh, so young uh, was in, in sir, sir, people point to, you know, the Bible and Paul saying, if you burn with desire, whatever, you know, whatever the exact wording At 21, is, 21, we're burning, you know, aren't we? You should get married. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I get that I do, but what happened to me and, and this man, this is stuff, you know, how the longer you're married, there's just deeper layers of the onion that God is revealing to you on what love is and what self-sacrifice is. And I don't think I really knew what love was when I got married to my wife. I mean, I certainly love my wife for what I knew love was, but it was a pretty selfish love. And I, I, I got married with this, this thought that uh, now that I had done it God's way, God owed it to me yeah. for this big sexual payoff. And that's an exact phrase uh, from a sexual purity book that I read in college, wow. the sexual payoff. And, you know, it's just wow. uh, I entered my marriage and my relationship with God uh, with a very entitled mindset. Mm-hmm. And that really backfired. Our wow. first three years of marriage uh, were really tough. I wanted a divorce three years in. I was ready. Wow. I was a pastor. I planted a church. So senior pastor, 24. I was ready to cash in my faith, live a promiscuous life because wow. I felt like God had given me a raw wow. deal. That's how that's how entitled wow. that I was. And my wife. She wanted out too because I was treating her like an object, and I was uh, I was selfish and entitled. And so, anyway, that's uh, kind of as a, as a starting point. There's a lot there, but um, w- getting getting married young isn't bad. But that entitled mindset yeah. that I had certainly was. Yeah. Wow. That is just so true. I feel like for the at least our generation too, yeah. we talk about this a lot. And, um, especially with Julie Slattery, um, with authentic intimacy, she talks about this purity narrative and how there is this culture out there that idolizes purity. And oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was part of that generation. I remember like I got the purity ring <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. high school and, and it's taught that exactly like you said, I totally believed if you save sex, then, you know, it's yeah. the carrot. And then you're going to have the most, you say no to sex for how many years, sexual drives, don't do it, it's bad. And then all of a sudden now you're supposed to say yes. And your body's mm. supposed to be ready. And it's supposed to be this magical thing. And it's like, no, well, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's kind of like the prosperity gospel for sex, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, actually, it, yeah. It's kind of wild. You think about that, like, oh, if you do these things, then you get blessed, and God wants your sex life to be incredible. You know, we had we had a similar experience. No, just to be super mm-hmm. raw on this episode, is that for Charity and I, it was crazy because we were all over each other when we were dating. We were very like we were making out. It got hot and heavy. We had to stop and separate, and like you know, it was normally her pushing me off because I'm like. We got to keep going. And, uh, and then we got married and just thought because we had that so much sexual drive and sexual just, yeah, I guess just what tension. Yeah. Just tension to want to have sex that when we got married, we thought it was going to be that. And unfortunately, because of me being raised on pornography, mainly that for us, at least Mm -hmm. that I was just completely dissatisfied. And that's so sad to say, you know, and it's like, it's so disappointing when you think it's going to be one thing and then it's not. 
and you're like, well, what the heck, God? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what the heck? I've been saving myself or we at least didn't have sex when we were dating. We tried so hard to honor you. And I think it's, it's, I think a lot of people even like question God mm-hmm. and his love. Yeah. You know, for you guys, I don't, if you don't mind sharing it as much as you want to or don't want to, but for you guys, what, what made it hard or what, what, what was the sexual stuff that was like, oh man, like this isn't working out if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on, on my end of things, um, the, so I was looking at pornography from middle school into college and I was able to stop in college. Uh, and, and some of that was through some of the sexual purity books that I mentioned and, you know, accountability groups went to Christian college. And so it was something we, we were, I was able, able to talk about, you know, with my friends and with guys. And, uh, but what I did not learn from those sexual purity books, uh, actually I'll say it this way. The, the books really taught me to view my wife as pornography. Mm. And so where, where you mentioned the, the disappointment um, for, for us, I think for me, it was, I was taught not to look at porn. I was taught to bounce my eyes from, you know, sexual stimulus and literally taught in, in that specific book uh, to, to uh, this book used the analogy of bowls, like eating cereal out of a bowl okay. uh, that, that, and I, I'm not kidding. I'm going to paraphrase it, but some, uh, something like uh, a, a man needs my, let's say a man needs 10 bowls a day of sex, sexual, you know, stimulus. And so you're, you're getting that from porn. And so your wife, you know, you're not, you're not like hungry for your wife and, or whatever. And so when you stop looking at porn, you go to your wife and you get your bowls from her. And I think it's a, you know, you might only get five or six or some, uh, uh, you know, bowls, but that's a lot because you're not getting them, you know, from anywhere else. And just, you think about that whole mindset and it is such a a objectification mindset of sex and of your wife, like your very wife is food for you to eat for your own selfish, you know, sexual hunger. Mm. And so I approach sex like that. Um, I would say, you know, a book, I don't know if you guys have read this yet or heard of it. The Great Sex Rescue uh, is one that I just read. Um, it's written by three women. I can't pronounce uh, any of their names. <laughs> I need to learn how to say their names because I keep recommending uh, the book to people. Sheila Ray uh, Gregory uh, is, I think, the main author. But she uh, it's a it's a really helpful book. It's written by women to women, but it was, it was recommended to me by one of the guys that's been through one of my beyond the battle groups and his wife had read it and, uh, she wanted him to read it. And he, he described it as the women's perspective on, on my book, like kind of Mm -hmm. the other side, both books are kind of saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm saying them to men, this book's, uh, saying it to women, but it's, it's a kind of fascinating book. It's I think totally different, uh, than my book in the sense that it really is a critique of the evangelical church's wow. uh, messages about sex. And, and they did, I think, a 2,000 women survey. They, uh, they, they surveyed 2,000 married women on their sex lives, and they tied you know, sexual dysfunction in a, in a marriage to various messages that these women heard yeah. uh, in church. And so I would say that as, as I read that, and my wife's going to read it next, um, she certainly would would fall into our marriage itself would fall into a lot of the categories that uh that that the book talks about where uh if if sex is viewed as a a duty you know for a woman uh it talks about some of the stuff even with 
um, you know, when, when you talk about charity that, that, um, that you, we're going to, or I think you're both talking about, you know, we're going to like make out and be physical and then stop, you know, and, and, and they talk about even the physiological, what that does when, when you, to a woman, when, when you, when you like force yourself to stop. And then when you go to get married and some of the, the physiological issues that are there that are higher among evangelical women than they are among, uh, mm. you know, your standard population of women. And so, oh. Just some things like that that my wife and I had no idea we were yeah. getting into yeah. uh, when we went into our, our marriage. And frankly, for those first three years, we didn't seek help. Like mm. we didn't think to read books about sex. Uh, we didn't think to go to a, a marriage counselor to talk about yeah. sex, uh, to go to a sex therapist to learn about sex. And uh, that, that, that all played a role. That all played a role mm. where sex was pretty one-sided. And uh, that's that's not a good combination when you have those other ingredients uh, that I already talked about. And so for me, I felt super rejected. I felt like my wife wasn't attracted to me. She didn't love me. And meanwhile, I'm not a virgin anymore. And I'm living in this college town, uh, Lansing, East Lansing, Michigan State University. I'm 24. And all these attractive women around, they seemed very interested in sex and interested in me. And 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 so that was a very uh scary uh time you know to as you know it was a very dark place Mm. wow so you're at this three-year mark you're wanting out your wife's wanting out i mean by the grace of god you're married for 17 years now Mm. wow that's amazing so what what happened there did did it kind of hit rock bottom at that dark place was it kind of like man we this stuff happened or what happened keep keep telling us the story what happened there yeah i mean on my end of things um and I, I write about this in kind of at length in the first chapter of the book. Uh, and, and I don't know how it sounds when other people hear it, but it's, it's, it's what God did and used in me. And it really, it really broke me. So I had all this entitlement that I've talked about this entitlement being God, you owe this to me. I made a deal with you. You know, I did it your way. I was a virgin and I stopped looking at porn. And now my sex life is not what I want it to be, what I expected it to be. And I was, so here's the thing. I'm a senior pastor. I'm preaching. I, I love Jesus. Wow. I don't want this, this, I don't want this, uh, discontent in my life. My number one prayer was God fix my marriage, you know, fix my sex life, make it better. Mm-hmm. I remember I memorized Proverbs five, Proverbs five is a whole chapter about lust and, and sexual sin. And, uh, I, and I was trying really hard, you know, to, for, I wanted this to be better, but meanwhile, I mean, I was suffering. I was just, this was brutal and I just couldn't, I, I wanted out. And so uh, for me, as I'm praying, this is, I'm still talking to God and I'm, and I'm praying And the, the common prayer I was praying was God, give me what I deserve. Mm. Give me what I deserve. Wow. Uh, I, I know the gospel. I'm a pastor. I was raised uh, in Baptist churches where we talked a lot about hell and uh, nowadays you don't hear as much about hell, but hey, it's biblical and it's, it's, it's true and it's there, w- whatever it is. Uh, and God in that moment, by his Holy Spirit, the way I needed to hear it, he said to me, don't pray that I'll give you what you deserve. You don't want what you deserve. Trust me. And, and honestly, in that moment, it was not about hellfire and brimstone and fear. What it was about was actually the total opposite. What, what I realized was 
what I deserve from God, if, if he were to answer that prayer, is his wrath, his judgment, separation from him. But I have the gospel instead. Uh, instead, he's, he's given me his grace. He's given me his mercy. He has not given me what I deserve. So he took my prayer and he really turned it on its head. I'm praying, give me what I deserve. And, and then st- it turned into, God, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Mm. And and in that, it transitioned into my marriage and really into my whole life where I began seeing my, my prayer life was so demand-based. I was mm. demanding things from God. And, and my prayer life turned into gratitude. It turned into, wow. God, thank you for what you've given me in the gospel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And then seeing my wife in the same light. I don't deserve my wife. I don't deserve her. She is a gift that is a part of your mercy to me. In fact, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve this, this water I'm drinking. I don't deserve, you know, to be sitting here talking to you and and all of those things turned into gratitude. And so you can imagine what that does to a marriage when someone who's very entitled, very demanding, very much wants my, my needs met and is viewing their wife as an object, honestly, almost on a dime flipped and started being grateful and, and living out of gratitude and seeing my wife as a gift. Mm. And, and that's what changed our marriage. I mean, it changed my wife. She was like, oh, I can stay in this marriage, mm-hmm. you know, because now now it's it's actually love is actually mm-hmm. happening. So that was the turning point for me. That was the beginning wow. of my of my real path to freedom. Wow. Wow. So amazing. I love how we pray for something and God just answers in a completely different way, but it's exactly what we needed to hear. Yes, that is so true. <laughs> he knows the desires of our heart Dude, and our I, longing. I just love your transparency there. You just mm-hmm. like opened up about your pride and your entitlement. Mm-hmm. And then you're like totally humbled by God's response. And then you're walking in humility. I mean, it is a humble person to be like, I'll tell you what I deserve. Mm-hmm. Like I deserve all these things and none of them are positive. Versus, I'll tell you what I deserve. I did X, Y, and Z, so mm-hmm. I deserve this. I deserve, you know, and those are all the benefits. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is really powerful, Noah. Thanks for sharing that, man, big time. Well, talking about that, so, I mean, that sounds incredible. And yet, at the same time, it's hard to grasp, like, okay, Noah, wait a minute. Here's mm-hmm. this guy, though, who is has a sexual drive, mid-20s. Like, you still want sex, Maybe you're getting that like duty sex you're talking about. If you are having sex, it sounds like it's not that enjoyable. You don't feel desired or wanted or things like that. Maybe I'm wrong in assuming that, but I think kind of we're saying that a little bit. So what happened there? Like what happens to the sex life? I'm I'm sure it doesn't just like change overnight or did it? I don't know. Yeah, I would say a combination of things. I think certain things changed overnight in the sense that uh, my wife felt loved. She felt she felt loved as a person. And, and, and that from year three to year 17 has been the ongoing journey of our, of our marriage. But two, we then were, we were at a spot. I mean, we were, so we had talked about divorce, but we, we, I'm a pastor. We're both Christians. We don't believe in divorce. We're committed to our vows. And so it wasn't something we were just jumping into, but at the same time, and I, I was, I remember looking up apartments in San Diego. You know, I, re- I remember kind of mapping out this sort of fantasy life that I was going to live there. And I mean, it was, we weren't that far away. Right. And so when these changes started happening in me and I started sharing them with my wife, it really was a point of, okay, now what are we going to do? You know, how are we now going to kind of rebuild our marriage? 
And uh, as you know, the older I get, the longer I've been married, the, I, my memory is foggy. I, we've been to marriage counseling many times. I don't remember if we jumped right back in then or not. Uh, we may have, because there's a, a lot of stretches throughout our marriage that we've done marriage counseling, which has always been super helpful. But I do remember uh, reading the book Sheet Music uh, by Kevin Le- uh, Lehman or Lehman at the time. And, um, you know, not a perfect book. Uh, I think there's there's certain kickback mentalities in that as well, which is kind of like I describe as the you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And and my selfishness grabs onto that. You know, I did my part. Now you do yours. But I will say I just like to preface that a little bit because I uh, but I recommend that book in the sense that um, it honestly taught my wife and I how to have much better sex. Mm -hmm. I, I wish it was a book we had read you know, our, our, our first day of marriage, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so that was the beginning of, of learning just ways that my wife physically would enjoy sex more. Mm -hmm. And as we read them, we're going, man, I can't believe three years into our marriage, you know, and we're reading this. And in a way that's, what's kind of cool about, you know, saving sex until marriage. And if you are committed to marriage, you go, you have your whole marriage to figure this out, you know, to get better and better at sex. Uh, But yeah, so that was a piece of it, I would say. And then um, I think that was just the beginning. That was the mm. beginning of us being open and willing to to work on both our marriage and in doing that, also work on our sex life together. If you could go back and like tell yourself during those college years before you're going to get married, um, if you could go back and tell that person something, what would you say to him to kind of help him have realistic expectations um, for marriage and specifically yeah. sex? Uh, I would say see your wife as a human being, as a soul. Uh, see her as a daughter of God. Um, don't see her as just somebody who's hot mm-hmm. that, that you, that you, you know, makes you feel all good inside. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, because when you do that, it's, you, you view your whole marriage, you, 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 you don't just view sex as a compartment and then marriage over here as a separate compartment. You, yeah. you view it all as one then because you're, you're viewing a whole person and, and your, uh, your calling uh, as a husband, really as a spouse, your, your calling is to love your spouse as a whole person. Mm. And so that, and, and in that, I think with that advice, it's sort of the same thing, just saying it a different way. Uh, I would, I would tell myself, my college self, what love really is, because mm-hmm. I think that's, that's getting at what love really is. Yeah. Love is, is loving a whole person and that's all of them. Um, and that means uh, it's not about you. It's not about getting your, your desires met. It, it's, it's about loving a person. And um, you know, I think, I think those are the two things kind of one in the same that I would, that so I would good. tell myself. You know, it's, it's so good. I feel like at the same time, my heart gets sad because you were trying to find a way to be pure. You're reading a book by a Christian author. You're at a Christian school. And just, you know, our stories very much relate to that. My, my whole life was a struggle with pornography and masturbation. I so bad wanted to break free from that. And so I sought out pastor's help. And, you know, if I was at uh, a Christian university, I sought out the, um, the campus pastors help and accountability groups. And I read books about it and it just, it was the wrong advice for so many years. And yet Mm -hmm. here was this kid that was trying to get help. And that's what I hear you saying. Like 
you're trying to figure out how to not live a life in addiction or in unwanted sexual behavior. And you're doing all that you know how to do. You know what I mean? And so now I hear you saying, Hey, I need to, I need to shed some light on instead of using those verses in the Bible, because we can do that, right? It says like your body is not your own. And if you burn with desire, well, you could use those to be like, Oh, this actually makes me think that my wife is meant for me. And like, Mm -hmm she's there so I can be sexually pleased. So there's a way you can totally take those verses and make it about entitlement. But what I hear you doing now is let's add some more context. Mm. Let's, let's, let's really look at the big picture of marriage and let's look at the big picture of love where it isn't self-serving. So talk to us a little bit now about your belief about marriage now and what love really is like, just dive a little deeper into that if you would. And really how, how God's love transforms us more than him saying, Hey, I'm going to provide marriage so you can be set se- sexually satisfied. Cause I think you, you mm. talk in your book that there's a lot more to marriage and a lot more to our communion with God and our covenant yeah. than even that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the scriptural concept that has really helped me that I flesh out quite a bit and beyond the battle is just the idea of one flesh. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like that one flesh is it's pre-fall it's in Genesis one and two and then Paul picks it up in, you know, first Corinthians six, when he teaches about sex and he's, he quotes Genesis two and, and Jesus, you know, does the same thing. And, and when, when he's talking about divorce and I've just, that concept of one flesh has meant a lot because you're taking one whole person and another whole person and you put them together and they make a whole person. And, and so that, that whole personhood piece that to me is the theological part that really makes sense because all those verses about sex that you mentioned, they're all included in there, but there's other ingredients as well. And so I'm a, I'm an analogy, you know, metaphor kind of guy. And uh, I, I talk about this metaphor of, of baking a cake and uh, a cake requires a lot of really bland, boring ingredients that don't taste very good on their own. Things like flour and, and eggs and butter. And, you know, if you just ate that, it would be, it wouldn't be any good. Uh, but then you add, you add sugar into the mix and now all of a sudden it tastes good and you have cake and that's the recipe. And so the idea there is that sugar is sex and the rest of the ingredients are all the other ingredients of marriage that make up a loving one flesh relationship of two whole people being accepted, you know, by, by one another. And so within that, you know, if you, if you uh, take the sugar out of the, out of the recipe and you eat the sugar all by itself, which is what our culture does, uh, you get sick. You know, sugar is not meant to just be eaten alone and it's really not very good alone. It's really meant to be complemented by these other ingredients. And at the same time, if you had a marriage that never had sex, you would have just bland bread. It would not be cake. It would not be good. And so that kind of idea of one flesh, I would say, is the is the biblical concept that has really helped me. And I would say to your second point about God's love for us, what's helped me a lot is getting rid of the kickback love mentality that was a part of my efforts within marriage to make my marriage better. And I critique some books in my book, and uh, you know, I, I, I books that 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 taught me some of those things, some of, some of those, those, those messages, some pretty popular books. Um, but that kickback love that I, that I learned, it was really this idea that if, if 
I did certain things for my wife that things that she liked that, you know, helped her out around, you know, our, the house, those sorts of things. Then she would have sex with me. You know, it was, it was, I'll do this for you. You did it, do this for me. And for me, it was a, it was a very selfish act. Mm-hmm. It, it was, uh, it was not love. It was like, how do I get this vending machine to give me that bag of chips? Like I got to put these quarters in and then it'll come out. Then I'll get what I want. Yeah. And if you look at Jesus and he hung on the cross and you go, okay, how, how, how loved did Jesus feel by us at that, t- at that moment? Not love. Like he wasn't loving us because we love him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't full of our love. Therefore now he can love his spouse. No, he, he loved us because he is love. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, I look at how he was always connected to the father throughout his whole earthly ministry and the father's love would pour through him. That was a unlimited faucet of love. And then it would pour out into us. He did not need our love back. And I think that's the model of marriage uh, that has really helped my marriage uh-huh. is I'm going to love my wife out of the love that the father's given me, not out of the love that she's giving back to me. Yeah. And uh, that has gotten us through and gotten me through those really hard, dark, difficult days. Wow, that was so good. We were just talking about that at lunch today. And I think, you know, there's this mindset of if I scratch your back, you scratch mine and I'm doing this. So you better do this, you know, I mean, heck a lot of our marriage, we would do that. Oh my goodness. Totally. Oh, hey, I know we're guilty. Well, can you do this? Yes. Hey, my parents pointed out when they stay over, do you only love her when she does things for you? I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I should think about that. Ouch. <laughs> No, but it's so true. I just, I think that we're selfish beings and um, sometimes we even do things for the other person, hoping that they're going to do something back for us, but not doing it just from the perspective of gaining it from the, because of the father. That was so, mm. gosh, yeah. really, really powerful. So good. You know, no, talk about this for a little bit. You mentioned it in your book. We talk about that, that longing inside of us that we, that we have for sexual gratification, right? And we actually find a way our brain is appeased by so many things, the, the brain chemicals that are released, all, all of those things. And so what you talk about in your book is the gospel filling that need and us no longer turning to sexual gratification. Can you just add some more on that? And how is that, how is that possible? How can the gospel, how can Jesus do yep. that for a person who for however long has turned to sexual gratification. Yeah. 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 And, and I always, uh, whenever we have these conversations, I always want to welcome singles into the conversation yeah. as well. Cause it's, it's one thing to be in a marriage and, and I'll say this too, all the sexual purity books I read in college were it's for married guys. Mm. Hey, married guy. Hey, married guy, go, go look at your wife, go have sex with your wife. You know, I'm like, I'm single. I, I don't mm. have a wife. So you have nothing for me. Right. Which again, that was a bad message anyway. Yeah. Uh, but this it's, there's a lot of singles in the church and, and uh, we have marriages, right. Where one, one of the, um, one of the spouses has a higher sex drive than the other. It feels like it's the guy more often than not, but the the great sex rescue book did a nice job with bringing out data that that's not always the case. It's it's uh, can also uh, be the the wife that that is in in that boat, and we have to you know let's be honest about that. 
as well. And so you can have one spouse that has a higher sex drive than the other. You can have a multitude of issues in a marriage where uh, there's not sex happening in the marriage. I just read the uh, Impossible Marriage by Matt and Lori Krieg, and they have a stat in there that I stole. And I cited I cited them as citing the stat. I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but Zonervan let it slide. So I stole their stat. I was shocked at the stat. Uh, their stat was uh, 15 to 20% of marriages are sexless, mm. uh, you know, aren't, aren't having sex at all. That's crazy. That's one out of five marriages is not having mm. sex. And so we have to be honest about that, so both for singles, both for people in marriages like that, or you could be in a, I would say, more healthy marriage that just is going through seasons. I think marriages go through, go through seasons like that. One thing that's important uh, is not to call sex a need. It's not a need. That's the wrong word. You're not going to die if uh, you're not having sex. And, uh, you know, that's just important that, that we, we frame it that way, because totally if it's agree. a need, you are entitled to your needs, right? You're entitled to be able to eat and, and, and have shelter and, you know, have water or what, you know, whatever it might be. But um, I think a need is relationships. Uh, there's, there's relational intimacy. That's a need. And that's something singles get to experience. And as a married person, you can experience relational intimacy with your friends as well. And, and so anyway, I think it's important to kind of set the table with some mm-hmm. of those things and and before and then we can talk about how do we get some of these needs met in Jesus and you know i've been doing this for a few years now one part of this we didn't mention uh, it's not all that relevant but i i independently published beyond the battle in 2018 and the 2021 version is a, a updated revised version that's traditionally published with mm-hmm. Zondervan and so what that really means is i had two or three years uh with a book out and i'm mm-hmm. i'm leading men through the book, uh, via the online groups. And, uh, as I, as I became sort of this, even in a small, a little small section of, of, you know, of the internet, an expert on, on sex, an expert on purity. And I'm leading these groups. Uh, I found in my own life that I was becoming, I was becoming less, uh, vulnerable, with uh, the guys I was leading groups with, because I didn't want to, if, if I showed I was struggling with fantasy or, you know, different types of dis- discontentment and whatnot. And, and uh, by God's grace, I wasn't like falling back into pornography or anything like that. Uh, but I was taking steps down that path. I was taking compromising steps uh, down that path. And, and uh, it was just a really interesting journey of two or three years where God had to, had to wake me up and I had to live this stuff out. I, I, there, there's nobody on the planet that doesn't have to have this stuff lived out. Uh, nobody is spiritual enough where they can just hear this in a sermon and say, I'm good. And so anyway, all this is getting back to the point that getting this love from Jesus, it is a daily meal. Mm-hmm. I think when I wrote the book the first time, honestly, this is how I'm wired. Uh, I, I want to write the best book possible. I want to write the book that fixes everybody's problems. This will be the best book ever. It's going to solve all your problems. And I wrote that in 2018. Best book ever, solve all your problems. That's how I wrote the book. And then I still had all these problems myself. And, and, and uh, obviously the guys do, I'm doing the group with, it, you know, the same. And so I write about that in the new book, I, a new chapter. And, and the last chapter of the book, I just vulnerable about that. And I say, look, what, what you, what I thought, and, and I know this word has 
connotations now that it didn't uh, when I thought of it. But I thought that this was like a vaccine. I thought I thought it was like a Jesus vaccine that if 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 you you get this, you, you learn this truth, you you get it, you mature, you graduate and now you're you're good. You're, you're pure. Good. You won't yeah. struggle anymore. Yeah. And what I have learned and back to, to answer long winded way of answering your question this is a meal. This is a meal that we have to get from Jesus. Number one, we have to learn how to get this meal from Jesus every day if we can. And what does that look like? It's being reminded of the father's love for us. Mm-hmm. In Matthew 3, 16 to 17, when the father looks at Jesus, he says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. I promise you and to all the listeners who have their faith in Jesus, that that statement is true of you. Mm-hmm. That when the father looks at you, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me, read that chapter <laughs> beyond the battle. And I, I set out to convince you that that is true about you. And so my daily time with Jesus, yeah. it is a meal to mm-hmm. be reminded of that. And if I don't get filled up on that, I am much more likely to go look for that elsewhere. Yeah. I'm going to look to sexual sin to tell me that. I'm going to look to my wife to tell me that. I'm going to I'm gonna look to my wife to, to fill me with that deep, validation that I need. So that's step number one is feeding off of Jesus of that truth. And step number two is real people in real community that can look at you in the face and they can embody that love to you. The love that the father has for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who can embody that love to you. And those are the, those are the two pieces that a single person or a married person who's struggling in their marriage, uh, they can have, they can experience. And, and those two things will fill up that relational need, that intimacy need uh, that, that we all have. Thank you for being so vulnerable and honest in that. Man, I, again, I was just talking to Clinton about this today at lunch, how I don't ever want to be a leader that becomes prideful and thinks we have it all together and people, yeah, people that we lead think we live a perfect life. And, um, I was on a coaching call today and I was just very raw and very transparent with her because I just, I always want to be real and it can be, I think that's why we see a lot of leaders fall. And it could be falling in any area. You know, it doesn't even have to be sexual temptation. I think one of the traps that the enemy can feed us is that we are alone and we feel alone because we're not sharing our struggles too. And just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you're perfect, but a lot of people put you on that pedestal because we're not sharing the vulnerability, raw things that are going on with us when when in reality we are just as much a sinner as all the other people that we're leading. And, um, but it takes a lot of humility to be able to lead people in that direction. And I believe, um, that more people will want to follow the more we lead like that, but it's not easy. And I am just praying every single day that we continue to be leaders like that and other leaders continue to be like that so that we have more people that can point to as examples that they want to, you know, just be like. Yeah. Yes. So true. Oh my goodness. No, it's so true. I, I was talking about that earlier today that this, because there's this epidemic of, you know, very well-known Christian leaders, pastors, leaders of, of large ministries that are falling into these, these sexual sins. And, and, you know, I, I look at myself over those two years from 18 to uh, 2020, 
uh, when, when, you know, this, we finished up this book and during those two years, I I'm looking at it going, yeah, that, that could have been me. That could be me because when you get on that pedestal, And look, this could be, you could be pastoring a 100 person church and those people are looking at you in that light where, where you go, well, I can't share struggles because if I tell you I'm struggling with, you know, fantasy, well, then that means my book, it doesn't work and nobody's going to buy it. And I need to make sure that people know this product works. So I got a perfect life and I never struggle and I have a perfect marriage. And so buy my book and I'm a perfect Christian. So come to my church. And it's really deceptive of, of Satan. And yeah, so I think I think we have to have the authenticity with our, I don't know the right word, our audiences to say we're messed up, we struggle, uh, and also have that inner circle, that private mm-hmm. community that we really, really share yeah. the deepest, darkest stuff with. And that can be different formats. I have a group of guys that I email when, when really dark stuff's in my head. I just get it out into the light. I think if you leave it in the dark corner, it it festers and it grows legs and it turns into a monster that, that gets out of control and, and then you do something crazy. But if you can get get it out into the light right away and just expose it and just, just shine truth on it and let yeah. others shine truth on it, for me, that does wonders. And so I created an email group for myself mm. in that two year, that two year time period. And then I have a group of guys on Saturday morning, we do the 9am zoom call and it's my alumni guys from my beyond the battle group. Yeah. And so I don't want any guy to not have that. And I need that myself. And so that's where all of our alumni uh, end up is on Saturday mornings at nine. And that is just a time for me. Uh, I mean, I don't lead those. I'm just in a breakout room and I share my stuff with three or four guys and I need that. We all need that. And and so I think I just mentioned those that it can look different for different people. I have one friend I text pretty regularly, multiple times a week. We just text each other. I got another friend I meet with weekly and we just talk about life. We talk about purity stuff. We just we need those people that we can just share our dark stuff with, but we believe in grace. And so we can talk about this stuff with other people that believe in grace. So good. I love that, Noah. Yeah. I was just was thinking lately about how so many pastors, they use the, um, the sermon about having a hole in our heart, right? And that the hole in the heart that only Jesus can fill. And when we're young, we hear about that. And we, we are so aware of the hole in our heart, whether it's our upbringing or our, our family experience or whatever it may be, because we do have those needs that are not met by society. The needs to be, to belong, the needs to be validated, the needs to be important, the needs to be seen, the needs to be heard, all those kinds of things that I believe are the real needs and, and those don't get met. So that leads a hole. And so then Jesus mm-hmm. fills the hole. But I think a lot of times we use that and it's so transactional, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a one-time transaction. You, you give your faith to the Lord and then you're good. And I think it's crazy as a man, how often God gives me something. He, he shows me my dependence and then I'm like, thank you, God. And I receive the gift and then I work towards independence. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. I'm going to create, I thank you for that. Now I'm going to go do something. So I no longer need you daily. And I think what I hear you saying is yeah. like, what's happening is, is the reality is that God, God shows us our dependence, but it isn't a one-time transaction. It's a, it's an hourly dependence. It's a daily dependence that we have in the Lord. And we have to realize that. And I think it was so discouraging just on the topic of sexuality for me to meet with these older guys when I was in my, you know, early teenage years, even like 
13, 14 years old. And they were like, listen, this never goes away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this horrible disease that I think I have. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. so defeating. But looking back, I've met a lot of men that walk in sexual integrity. And what they would say is those needs never go away. And what we do is we learn to meet those needs in different ways. And yet we still, from the day we die, we'll, we will always have this flesh that we battle that wants to meet those needs in unhealthy ways. Yeah. It may not even be sexual addiction or unwanted sexual behavior. It might be pride. It might be ego. And that's what I hear you saying is no matter how, how influential anybody gets, because I, I really believe everybody is an influencer. It's not about how many followers they have on Instagram. It's not about how many people follow them on TikTok or on any other platform. It's that everywhere you are, you are influencing the people you're around. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is how much are you being influenced by godly people, by people who are following the Lord, and how much are, are they pouring into you on a daily basis, helping us realize our consistent dependency? Yeah, that's good. That's well said. I, I think there's things we easily accept when we get saved. In the gospel, we go, yep, I know that. I know that I could never save myself. I know that I'm I'm dependent on God for, for his grace and mm -hmm. salvation. And then just like you said, huh, now I'm, I'm good. I'm good now. I, the rest I can do myself. I can handle the, the rest myself the rest of my life because I'm strong. I'm a Christian. I'm this. But really, it's it's a self. It's it's my self power that I'm going to depend on God. I'm good now. I don't I don't need you anymore. Mm. I respect yeah. that. Well, I really respect the reason why I got on a little soapbox there was because I just was like really inspired by what you said. And here you are, a leader, an author, a pastor, starting a new church plant, and you're talking how you meet with guys regularly to hold you accountable, ask you the tough questions, shed the dark place of our mind. I mean, even us saying that we have dark thoughts. I mean, that can be taboo, right? Like yeah. I have dark, disgusting thoughts that nobody <laughs> should, nobody wants to know, but I have to share them. Like, I think we'd be like, oh my gosh, you're sick. Like something's wrong with you. <laughs> and then we as Christians are like, yes, I am sick. Like yes. I am still in need daily of a savior. Yeah. Like, let's be yeah. honest about that. Yeah. And let's just be real for a minute. Even Sharon and I in our marriage, we still have things that we need God to restore. We are not it's not restored and then you're done. It's almost a process of being restored mm -hmm. daily. And that's yes. what Restoredomore is all about. I love you sharing yeah. this, man. Well, okay. Well, talk to us, Noah. How can, our, yes. how can our listeners get your book, get plugged into all the things you're doing? I know I said those in the beginning. You have you have the Beyond the Battle. It's on. It's an ebook. It, you can also get the hard copy. hard copy on Amazon, on your website as well. I always tell people to go to your website because you get paid the most. You don't have to pay Amazon, right? Go to your website, get it there. <laughs> uh, dude, the Zondervan thing's above my pay grade. I don't understand how it works. So uh, you get it wherever you want. I, I, if you want to buy, I think you had to buy it from Zondervan if you want that to happen, but okay. I really don't care or no. It's, uh, I'm playing a church now, so I'm, I can't, I got, and I have three kids. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I can't keep track of all oh, that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and then you have your podcast that our listeners yeah, should go to. Yeah. That's the flip side. Yep, yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I like to share before I forget, uh, my groups are really important to me yeah. because, uh, my groups it's so beyond the battle.net. If you're a guy and you're just saying, I want some of that in my life, I need guys in my life. I don't have this community. We found that guys go way deeper, uh, that guys have never met and they get on zoom. We go way deeper than guys that you're in a men's group with at your church. Um, mm -hmm. almost across the board. That's that's how guys talk about it. And so, guys, if you 
uh, want to go through this material and get these tools, but then have community around you and have that. I mean, indefinitely this and, and the for, so you pay to be in the group, but the weekly indefinite thing forever, that's free. That, that mm-hmm. comes for, for all alumni. I just really feel passionate. I didn't want to write a book and just say, Hey, here's your book. Good luck with the rest of your life. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have that community, we want to provide that for you. So that's beyondthebattle.net. Uh, that's huge. And, uh, and yeah, so check that out. We have a new, uh, well, we have new groups kind of starting all the time and then we have a waiting list. So just check it out and, and we'd love to get you into a group. And then uh, everything else is pretty much on my website, noahphilippiac.com. I do uh, blog. I like to write about a variety of things. And, and then the podcast is a lot of fun uh, as well. Yeah. So absolutely. Wow. Do you sleep? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do. I just, I just like to, I like to, I enjoy these things. You know what I mean? Like uh, people, why'd you write a book? It's because I enjoyed it. I, I love writing. Mm-hmm. I love podcasting. I love it. I mean, I have to be, I, I have to be wise. I only have a certain level of bandwidth and I have to sure. pace myself. But oh man, I like I went crazy during the the shutdown because there was there just wasn't a lot I could you know, to do in my job and I mean so church planting I love uh, I love it yes so um, I don't blog as much as I used to I I I, I used to blog a lot <laughs> and my wife did not like how much I blogged <laughs> so I blog less now but I still do so read my old stuff too because that you know that's when I really was blogging. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. so yeah. awesome well no thanks a ton man we're so happy having the show thanks yeah. for spending some time with us this evening and uh man i'm excited for people to listen to this podcast and gain the knowledge and wisdom that you've shared well thanks so much to both of you and i love your ministry thanks for having me on it's been great i'm yours until the end of time hey everyone thank you so much for joining us today don't forget to subscribe to the show follow us on instagram and sign up for the upcoming course You can also connect with us on the Ask Us Anything page at RestoredToMore.com. Also, quick note, all the work at Restored to More Inc., including this podcast, is made possible by our donors and financial partners. We wouldn't be here without those who have generously given to the cause of restoration. If you ever feel led to give, you can do so on the donate page on our website, 